couple of times today I've thought I could do with a hug but uh, apart from that it's been it's been alright I mean I got a lot of love for Sir Alex as we'll talk about throughout the course of the show but you know also all things must pass this is the fundamental nature of existence well, yes, of course. We spoke about Sir Alex not long ago. It's, it's funny. So for for a very long time, I was insisting that summer 2013 was when he was about to retire. And then I was clearly totally wrong about that. Except not. But, you know, it, it would appear that I had been totally wrong. And then uh, and not a week ago, or maybe it was two weeks ago, we talked about Sir Alex. And I said, does this look like a man who's about to retire? Absolutely not. It's the last thing from his mind. Of course, he was he was blowing smoke in her, her eyes once again. I mean, how many times has he done it? In his program notes for the match against Chelsea, he said, this isn't title number 20, it's the start of another 10 years of success and I intend to be around for it. I mean, paraphrasing, but something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny one because, uh, you know, you read that in the aftermath of this and it's kind of clear that he's moving upstairs and that's what he's on about. But, you know, we've sort of had a pop at Fergie a lot over the years for effectively lying to the fans by lying to the press because that's how he communicates with the fans and he sort of lost sight of that and just sees it as lying to the press. But this was just lying directly to our faces, you know, well, not to our faces, but just the medium of print is clearly not a medium in which he feels compelled to be honest because whether it was kind of strictly speaking true or not it certainly wasn't honest in spirit and I've seen a lot of people say you know oh mind games to the last that wily old Fergie but I just think I don't really get what there's no benefit in that what what was he trying to accomplish why why he didn't have to address that subject at all seems really odd thing to do in his last last set of program notes before the announcements well, it does, yes. I mean, yeah, you're right, he didn't have to address it. Of course, there's some more formal rules around this kind of thing because he's a, a senior employee of the club. He's not an executive executive director or anything like that, or well, yet. It looks like he will be, but um, so there are some rules that govern the announcements of the stock exchange and all that kind of thing. So you can understand why the club would control the announcement, yeah, but he directly and proactively went out and addressed the subject in his programme notes last week, and it was just a flat-out lie because, of course, these two things take months of succession planning he didn't wake up one day and go you know what i feel like retiring today and i mean he's given interviews through the season as well so and anyway i mean you know it's it's fergie to the last i suppose but i don't think we should kick off on a negative note really there's uh, there's an awful lot of good things it's it's almost impossible to consume all the media about him and digest it into a one narrative isn't it there there are so many nuances conflicts contradictions with this man who's one depending on how you count it you know 30 plus or or in fact if you add everything in terms of his uh, his scottish trophies as well 49 trophies in total uh, over his managerial career i mean it's a it's an incredible achievement and an incredible man and i need, mean that in many different ways there's no question there's no question that he's a complex character but he's also easily the greatest football manager of all time easily the eras he spanned the constant reinvention of himself as a manager and the team that he's managed i mean the success he had before united imagine aberdeen winning the scottish premier league nobody apart from celtic or rangers has won it since he left scotland well, quite. So I, ha- I was having a debate today about uh, Ferguson's successor and, and uh, someone said to me, well, yeah, where was Ferguson when he joined United? Uh, you know, you're not judging this by the same stick, basically. But but hang on a minute. I looked through his record. He'd won three Scottish titles, four Scottish Cups, three Scottish League Cups, the European Cup Winners' Cup <laughs> and the European Super Cup with, with, a, with a club that gets sort of less than 20,000 in gates, yeah. right? <laughs> from scotland that's incredible now talk about overachievement and uh, we'll get on to it later but I, I i can make a good argument to say that david moyes hasn't overachieved but ferguson doing all of that with aberdeen was incredible unbelievable no one has done it since no absolutely no one's done it since at any club of an equivalent scale either not just in scotland but there's no really not really anywhere in the world where that's happened since, as far as I can think. And you talked last week about how there was no one that's ever added more value to a company and not be, and been rewarded as like relatively little for it as Sir Alex. Not that, as you said, not that the rewards are insubstantial, but just that relative to the value added 
they're insubstantial. And you know, I mean, the, the, the his his Aberdeen career is proof of the of the level of added value. I mean, I, I'm really happy he gets to have a retirement because I would have been really sad if he'd like died on the job and never had an experience of a kind of slightly less pressurized life. Because although he would have loved, obviously, absolutely kind of loved and thrived off the pressure, clearly, because otherwise you don't become Sir Alex. It, it must take an in- enormous toll. And, you know, it's, it's, the way the story's broken over the week has been, it's kind of come out in bits and drabs, hasn't it? Like, the Mirror broke this story that he was going to have, I think it was the Mirror, going to have this hip operation, and uh, it was going to mean that he was out for a few weeks at the beginning of the season. And you wonder if that actually turns out that that was true. And then Red Issue all day yesterday were saying it's happening today, weren't they? Yeah, well, actually, they've been saying it for some time, yeah. And then, yeah, so at about 10 o'clock last night, it started to really gather pace. And then this morning, it was pretty clear. There, I mean, there was all sorts of rumours. There was rumours like David Moyes is going to be in charge of the first team until Fergie comes back from uh, injury, at which point Moyes will be the assistant. You know, all these really elaborate, convoluted theories. Uh, but then in the end, it was pretty cleanly done. Sir Alex releases a statement at half nine this morning saying, that's it, I'm off. Cheers and that. And then throughout the course of the day, it became increasingly apparent that David Moyes... I mean, as we record this, David Moyes hasn't been announced as manager of Manchester United, so it's uh, possible that you'll be watching Mourinho at a press conference just after having listened to this, laughing at all the stuff we say about Moyes today. But right now, it looks pretty much inevitable that David Moyes is the next Man United manager. Well, yeah. And just going back to the retirement piece, um, I mean, obviously he's, he said about the 2002 retirement that it was an absolute disaster. Of course, it ruined United's season. He was determined not to have that done again. So I guess that's why there's all the cloak and daggers and why it's come out in the way it has. And, you know, probably got leaked a little bit earlier than they were planning. They, they were probably planning a formal statement rather than the leak coming out of Rio Ferdinand. I mean, the squad, uh, the golf day. And so it's that that's changed a little bit but but about the retirement so Ferguson tells this story about his father and his father having retired after working in the dockyards for years and years and years and a week after he retired he got diagnosed with cancer and uh, you know that has clearly played out in Ferguson's mind over the last decade since his first retirement and and probably actually very clearly in that decision to unretire so he equates retirement with falling ill, you know, and, uh, and and so it's interesting you say about how he'll keep himself busy. Yes, he'll be a director, but he's not going to be on the training ground at six in the morning like he does now. He, he won't have the pressure and the, all the all the, start, the admin and stuff that he de- does deal with because he doesn't do the actual hands-on training. He won't be having to do the analysis and watch the videos and meet the agents and all of that kind of stuff. You know, he's going to have more time to, to race horses, I guess, or, and, and do the various charity stuff he does. But it's going to be a, a, a shock, I'd say. I'd say a massive shock to him personally. You know, I hope he doesn't drop dead. Um, in many ways, I'd rather he drop dead on the pitch doing the job than drops dead in, in his house in a couple of weeks' time because uh, his body just gives up after all these years of fighting for with every sinew to get the next victory. Yeah, and it's genuinely a problem. You see it all the time. People sort of collapse after... It, it's it's the uh, exaggerated version of how, you know, if you work really hard and then you have a week off and you kind of haven't had any downtime before the week off, you're going to be pretty sure to catch that cold. You know what I mean? It's, it's that thing that always happens. And, and retirement is that can be that on a grand scale for a person that's lived a life like Sir Alex has. So he's definitely going to have to be careful on how he, he manages the transition to a quieter life. And, you know, one of the things that he clearly wants to do is be extremely invested in the club and and Sir Bobby's not going to last forever is he and Sir Alex has got a a role to play in that regard doesn't he that sort of senior grandfather figure of the club he has although of course you know he's been so close to the the execution of whatever happens with the club that uh, it's slightly different it's significantly different from what Sir Bobby does and and Charlton had some time away from the club between being a player and becoming a director uh, of the club as well so no we can talk about his looming shadow and we've we've done before you know that is, is going to play a significant part I don't think it'll be enough you know this this guy has been uh, in football since he was like 14. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's not short of 60 years in the game and then suddenly he won't be on a day-to-day basis. So that's going to be a big shot for him. But look, we should do some retrospective because I feel like it. I mean, it's all obvious. I was just I was thinking about, you, you go through in your mind a you know, bullet point list of, of what it is that was good and bad about Fergie. And uh, I came up with my mind, a good, good t- silverware, mm. like lots of it all the time. 
the focus on youth at different points in his career I wouldn't say it's a universal at all because at times he really hasn't done that and actually in the last couple of seasons it's, it's um, for all that he says about youth is actually a fairly old side but from the Fergie fledglings in the late 80s to the class 92 onwards you know there's been a good emphasis on that and and he's trusted and that I think that's been a in the modern era that doesn't happen very often and he's been a, a pivotal part of that He's completely changed the club. So the complete, I don't just mean financially and commercially and and stuff like that, but that's all fallen out of of the succession I'd had. But the professionalism, so he came to a club with a bunch of drinking, the training methods, his focus on science and modern, and and people don't give him much credit for this, but he had strong focus on data and medical staff and the the legacy at Carrington. They spent 20 odd million bigging up. Uh, the facilities at Carrington so he's going to leave a, a massive legacy there so there's that, that there's his legacy encompassing all that in terms of how transformative what he's done has been to this institution you know and 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 then he's going to leave a pretty strong squad English champions okay it's not the strongest in Europe but compared to what it was when he came it, it's my it's, it's not even the same ball game is it in terms of depth of quality of squad so that's all the good stuff and then there's the bad stuff but we'll get on to that yeah, I mean, listen, the the bad stuff can be summed up pretty quickly and it is a it is a problem when it comes to the legacy that but I think I think it'll be forgotten and I think it's also I think it's sad that he's been part of the Glazer era and part of the rampant commercialism of United, but I think the way it's played out and his decision to retire now, I mean, we've basically survived the worst of Glazernomics, right? We've we've weathered the worst of the storm of that, as as far as I understand it, in terms of the 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 combination of the club getting quite fortunate and all that stuff. So so he is he's kind of left at the right time in that sense. And so I think hopefully we we can concentrate a little bit more on the positive and the sort of incredible incredible awe inspiring legacy that he leads. As you say, a club transformed from top to bottom. And yet, everything you hear about the club is that it runs as a family club, you know. Tea ladies are the same tea ladies that they've been for years and all that kind of stuff, you know. Fergie's had the same secretary the whole time. There's there's a, a close-knit community in that club. And, you know, the the teams as well, the, the, the conspicuous team spirit, the fact that, you know, have you ever read The Secret Footballer book? No. No, you know the columns, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they basically always say, essentially, God, football is a terrible, football's a complete nightmare, everyone's really horrible and backbiting and stupid. Oh, except at Man United where everything basically runs smoothly. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm paraphrasing, but, but it sort of does happen a bit in, in that book. I, I want to talk a bit about emotions, if I may, because that's a subject I'm very interested in. And it's been really interesting to see people's emotions today. Obviously, like, people are shocked and sad and all those kinds of things. And some people really, really, really shaken by it. No doubt people that are listening to this who were really sort of affected by it in quite a primal way. And, uh, you know, I made this joke about David Moyes is... is coming and you know, this is your new dad David you have to do what he says now there is there is something about that he's an incredibly paternal and paternal figure I was going to say patriarchal but I mean paternal in a sport which really represents paternity to a lot of people a lot of people's really deep connections with football are either uh, either come at an early age through a connection with their father or exist as a kind of replacement for that as is super freudian or whatever but you know it, it's how i think about these things and and ferguson is is really a father figure and I'm, so i'm basically what i'm getting at is i'm not surprised that people were really shaken up by it how did you feel about it well if ferguson's the father figure does that make kathy the mother figure and if this is freudian do we all really want to sleep with her <laughs> well, you do talk about that quite a lot, so, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, uh, is Ferguson a father, father figure? I, I don't want to brush over the bad stuff, but we'll, we'll get there, I, you know, because I can't help but address it with any, uh, any eulogy I give to Ferguson. Is he a father figure? He's been a father figure for an era in the club, for sure. He's the man that has defined it. But I kind of see him as a, an old-fashioned 1950s father figure. He's, he's the father that is sometimes absent, and he's the father that would beat you if you were naughty. He's also the father that, that taught you great things, you know? I, there's, a, there's a sense of nostalgia when, if you think about Ferguson and a, and a father figure. He's not the modern-day father. He's not, he's not modern dad like Arsene Wenger or something like that. <laughs> 
But he has actually, he's adapted his fatherly style. If you look at Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, he recognised that he had to be a different kind of father to Cristiano Ronaldo. And he was that. Ronaldo says he never saw the hairdryer, and that's probably not quite true. But he was definitely arm round the shoulder, everything will be all right, dad, to Cristiano, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, but I think he was like grandfather to Cristiano. Cristiano, the orphan, and, and Ferguson played the grandfather for him. So I think that was a, a little different. But you're right, he did adapt his style over the years, and that's one of the great assets that Ferguson's got. He, he adapted his management style, he adapted his tactical style. United went from a up and at them, let's attack with everybody, to a much more sophisticated unit over the years. And, and as a result, often not as exciting. But but we were on his, his kind of man management style and his personal style. And that, that has changed. Yeah, you know, maybe he got a bit softer. But yeah, fa- father figure, I think he's the kind of father of this era, this epoch at United. And I think it'll be very different from now on. You know, it doesn't really matter who comes in. I think uh, even with someone with a different, a very similar management style, wouldn't be able to have the same kind of effect on the club. And, you know, we've talked before about his his kind of all-encompassing view. And part of that was myth, of course, but part of it was true. Part of it was about checking up on players and, and part of it was about knowing all the 12-year-olds at the club and all the kids coming up through the academy and, and understanding every part of the club, you know, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that, that kind of had to change, didn't it? Because the club got so big. But he's kind of kept some of that going. Right, well, the club did get big. I mean, remember in the late 80s when Michael Knighton put in the bid, it was £10 million. And the Glazers wouldn't accept a £2 billion offer now. Uh, so that gives you an idea of the, the you know huge huge change in scale around the club I mean you know it's not just about the number of people through the turnstiles it's everything that goes with it you know United now are a media entity that's registered in the Cayman Islands and listed on New York Stock Exchange and and when Ferguson took over it was basically owned by the Edwards family as a plaything yeah absolutely how, how did you feel like what was your sort of emotional reaction to hearing the news uh, actually, it was pretty neutral. Uh, in in a way, I didn't feel very surprised because I was expecting the unexpected. Right. I, I know that's an oxymoron, but I I figured this this would be the way it uh, it came out one day. Didn't expect it this summer, actually. After all, yeah. After all, my previous belief that it definitely was, I'd changed my mind. That's how convincing he was with the smoke screen. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, a, a little bit of it's not a surprise. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Why not? He's going out on a he's going out on a high, so that's good. Uh, maybe Imagine that City had romped away with the league and hadn't been quite so rubbish this season. We'd have a very different feeling about him going. He probably wouldn't want to, wouldn't have wanted to go, would he? No. Uh, I mean, you know, there are, there are stories floating around that he'd considered quitting last summer. But for the way City won the title, he just couldn't do it. Yeah. And a little bit of trepidation because I think it's, it is going to be a momentous summer for the club. As I said at the top of the show, we've got a new CEO. We're going to have a new manager now. There'll be some new faces in the playing squad. There'll be some players going, potentially some very big ones as a result of all these changes. And so it is a summer of upheaval in many ways for the club, you know. And so that's that, uh, that gives you pause for thought, doesn't it? Because if you put it in that context, we shouldn't expect a great season next year. I think things are going to change quite significantly. Get your mind around that now, then we'll all be able to accept a bit easier when it, when it goes a little bit pear-shaped next year. <laughs> Yeah, if it does, I mean, obviously signings are a huge part of that, but but I think we'll come to the post-Fergie era a bit later in the show. For, for now, the Fergie era, um, you asked me to have a bit of a think about a few, a few different things uh, before we started recording. And one of them was uh, Sir Alex's, the greatest, the best 11 of Sir Alex's time. And we, we, we did this a little while ago when some of the millions of milestones we've covered on, on, while we've been doing the show, because it's been a milestone every, every three months, hasn't it, while we've been doing the show, basically. So I think we both have Schmeichel in goal, right? That's pretty clear that... That's a given, yeah. I, th- I think I have him in goal. At, he's definitely the best goalkeeper I've ever seen. I've never seen a better goalkeeper than Schmeichel. He may well be the best there ever has been. So right back, pretty obvious choice, really. Mini Fergie himself, the greatest pundit that football television's ever seen. The one and only Gary Neville, a man who throughout his career worked harder and harder and harder and harder to just get better at every aspect of the game. He did, yeah. Fergie once said that if he was an inch taller, he'd be the best centre-back in Britain, which is an interesting assessment of Gary Neville. Yeah, he was a fantastic right-back, Neville, and uh, definitely Ferguson's best right-back. The only choice. Yeah. Now, left-back, there, there, there is potentially some alternative choices to this. I was 
talking with at Man United Youth on Sunday. Very nice to meet Nick. And he was saying that he would have Patrice Evra in his uh, greatest Fergie eleven left back for the for the the heights of like if you take him and uh, my choice Dennis Irwin at their very very best. Patrice Evra might nudge it, but you don't see Patrice Evra's very very best as often as you saw Dennis Irwin's consistent excellence and solidity. What one of the unsung heroes of the Fergie era. But it's got to the point where much like Michael Carrick, he's been called an unsung hero so often he's now a sung hero. Yeah, I mean, Owen would be my choice as well. I mean, right back playing at left back. In fact, he scored all those goals from free kicks. His leadership, his ability to play within different systems, the number of years with which he excelled as well. So he edges it. Not not far off. You know, Patrice has, has been absolutely brilliant in, in the sort of 2008-2009 era. Uh, you'd argue that he was the best left back in the world. It'd be hard to argue that Erwin was ever the best left back in the world, but the best Fergie left back for me, Erwin, yeah. And uh, now we come to genuinely difficult. I guess we do two at once here. I think basically what it comes down to is that Rio and Vidic are the not only were they the best partnership, but they're also the best two defenders. I, I'd, I'd have both of them in, in the side. Absolutely unstoppable force of Nemanja Vidic at his best. And Rio just making everyone that's ever played alongside him look magnificent. Rio Rio is one of my favourite defenders of all time, let alone uh, Ferguson-era defenders. Obviously, many, many, many honourable mentions, but perhaps you'll pick someone other than Rio and Vidic in your centre-back partnership. Yeah, super, super difficult, this one. I mean, I, I definitely have Rio because of the class over the last 10 years. And I, I think he's uh, he's been truly outstanding. And the fact that he's he's in the PFA Team of the Year shows his enduring quality. At his peak, he was absolutely in one of the two best central defenders in the world. And the other one's really difficult for me because the influence of Stam on that 1999 team was, was absolutely massive. And Vidic was arguably the reason that United managed to win that second European Cup in 2008. You know, United had a very, very solid defensive performance through that season. And you talk about the way performance at Roma that season as being one of the finest ever. Um, I think Michael Cox from Zona Marking said it's probably the finest ever United performance away from home. Something like that. And Vidic was a, a huge part of that. But for me, I just pick Stam. Just. I thought Stam was uh, just completely commanding for a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, it, yeah, this is we, we're splitting the hairs that are not on Yapstam's head, aren't we, at this point? Bruce and Pallister both deserve honourable mentions. I think it's it's very difficult to compare because they really do. I mean, it's, it's just this whole thing about the number of footballing eras that Ferguson has spanned. Yapstam feels like a very modern defender, but Bruce and Pallister feel like they're from a bygone era. You know, if you look at the levels of fitness, compare Steve Bruce's physique with Rio Ferdinand's, for example. You're saying Brucey didn't rip a six-pack? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Brucey ripped plenty of six-pack open. Um, but yeah, but they were both phenomenal, phenomenal defenders, weren't they? And of course, Bruce chipped in with tons and tons of goals. I just don't think they compare in terms of quality. Yeah. So certainly Bruce didn't. I mean, you know, fine defender and all that, but from a bygone era. So yeah, for, for me, those two. Midfield, uh, midfield. I mean, I guess you could have some arguments around the periphery, but but any any best Fergie 11 that doesn't contain Giggs, Skulls and Keane uh, is ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. frankly. Yeah. And then you might argue about who would play on the right wing. Personally, I'd say Ronaldo. I mean, of course, he played some of the latter part of his United career up front, basically, and all of his uh, career at Real Madrid in attacking, whether it's off the left or through the centre. But I guess he came to stardom as a right winger, so I'd pick Ronaldo. Some might pick Beckham. I don't know what you would. Uh, yeah, obviously the same, those those three easily pick themselves. Although a huge honourable mention for Brian Robson, an absolutely magnificent player, magnificent. You know, just, we kind of underestimate Robbo because he comes from a bygone era, but he had absolutely everything. He was just just a complete tower, and it's brilliant that the Fergie era started early enough that Robson managed to win the Premier League because he really definitely deserved not to finish his career without that that Champions Medal. More than, more than Steven Gerrard ever got. Just, just I'll throw that yeah. one in there. Yeah, absolutely. It must be very close, but Skulls and Keane. I mean, has there ever been a better central? Yeah. Well, there probably has been, but in the modern era, there are not many central midfield partnerships. And, no. and in an era that was just coming into what you might call the modern era, you know, where it became fashionable to play, yeah. to play three through the middle a lot. Um, they still dominated, you know, whether it was against two or three. You didn't, Keane was two players in one. 
And so were Skulls. Yeah, yeah. You got their one and a half each at least. On the right, I would have David Beckham for reasons that I'll come on to in, in just a minute. Ronnie, I'm not going to argue with anyone that has Ronnie. It's just about the balance of the right. team. That's what I was thinking about, the, the role that they all play. That quartet, compare it with United midfield now, <laughs> compared to that quartet at their peak, I, I mean, we just wouldn't live with them, would we? No, but I would have Carrick on the bench because, you know, I think Carrick has been absolutely central to the, the end of Ferguson's era. He's been vital. I mean, you know, I was at the Chelsea game and I was really sad that he, he wasn't involved, but we were a shambles in central midfield as we are so often without him. But he's obviously not going to get keen or skulls out the side. And, and in fact, he wouldn't even be my next choice because I'd have Robson. But I do think Carrick is a, the best midfielder of the the late the last five years of Fergie's career. Well, yes, that's not saying an awful lot. <laughs> no, he's basically saying he's better than Anderson. That's what I'm saying, yeah. basically. At this, uh, and then okay, so right, well, one of my reasons for picking Beckham is because uh, up front, I, I think in in the number nine role, I'm gonna have uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy just for sheer insane capacity as a predator and. I mean, just all-round magic, brilliant, amazing goaliness, as in the scoring of goals, not being a goalie. And in the in, in the number nine role, I mean, it's not the number nine role, it's the number seven role uh, in this particular case, because you can make whatever arguments you like about who the best, the actual proper best players that have played for Sir Alex are, but the best player that's played for Sir Alex is Eric Cantona. Oh, for a minute there, I thought you weren't going to have him. Phew. Oof. Because <laughs> we were going to have a falling out. So, <laughs> yeah, of course, up front, you have to have Cantona. And I, I would pick Venice Roy as well. I mean, Rooney has been an absolutely brilliant player at times for United. And if you take the whole of Van Roy's time for United, the last season or so wasn't very good. But for three seasons, he was absolutely amazing. In three seasons of a not brilliant United side. Uh, he's got tons of goals. I think he got like over 100 goals in his first three seasons with United. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 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 more than 100, I'm pretty sure. And uh, Rooney can't match that, but he's been brilliant in a different way. So, you know, it was it was a toss-up for me, and I was thinking about this, but I, I would have Cancenar and Van Nistor up front. And then, of course, you know, pretty magnificent bench. I mean, the only other goalkeeper that's actually been any good in the Fergie era has been Van der Zaar, so I don't think there's any argument about that one. You know, unless you want to, unless you want to go for Bosnich or Taibi. What about Dave? I, you know, I mean, I'd have Van der Sar over Dave, but not in five years. In five years, if if Fergie had been there for another five years, De Gea might have been uh, in with a shout. Ah, yes, but but you know, we're not looking to the future here. We're looking at the past. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a nostalgic show. <laughs> For, for the time being, anyway. And, and I mean, I picked Stam, you picked Vidic. I mean, maybe our substitutes would be the other way around. I'd have Vidic on the bench. Maybe or maybe you wouldn't. I, I don't know. I mean, Robson would have to be there. And I guess I'd have Beckham on the bench because I picked Ronnie in the yeah. side. And and would I have Rooney on the bench? I guess so. I mean, it depends. Are we, are we in 1986 era when you only got three substitutes? Or are we in 1999 era when you got five substitutes? Or are we in 2013 era where you got seven? I want seven. I want seven. So... All right, all right, all right. So in that case, I could have Rooney on the bench and I could probably have another midfielder and I haven't really thought about who that might be. And then, of course, I mean, he might not have been the best player that United have ever had or in the Fergie era in even, but the best substitute United have ever had is Ollie. He'd have to be on the bench. Absolutely no question whatsoever because, you know, we're picking the best player for the role and, uh, you know, uh, Ronaldo's a better player than David Beckham but I want a proper right winger to ping crosses into Rude and I want a proper substitute on the bench. Uh, um, I'm going to have, obviously, I'm going to have Ronnie on my bench. Solskjaer, Robson, Ronaldo, Stam, Evra maybe, I don't know. It's, it's hard, isn't it, to pick a bench? It's really difficult, but... It is. I've got one left, so maybe I'd pick Evra. Or, you know, I mean, as a wild card, maybe Bebe. Yeah, Bebe. Why not? Why not chuck a bit of a, a bit of comedy in there as well? I don't know. Oh, of course I know who's in my last substitute role. Of course I do. It's what I would do in Championship Manager. The man who can play anywhere on the park. In fact, I don't need Van der Sar on the bench, because I'm going to have Big John O'Shea on my bench. Hey, Big John O'Shea. Fantastic, yeah. Well, there you go. Fergie's greatest 11. I think that's a pretty bloody good side, whichever way you pick it. It's not bad. Um, All right, so you asked now... I mean, this is impossible, Ed. You said your favourite single moment of Sir Alex Ferguson's career. Did you have some... What? What's yours? Well, I, I know what mine is, yeah. My, mine is Anne Solskjaer has won it. That I mean, that's, that's mine. That, that brings a tear to the eye, even today. Just, you know, spine-tingling, amazing. 
Nurse. That has never been repeated again. I'm losing it here. I was thinking about that versus the 2008 Champions League final. And I'm a bit of a weirdo, right? I acknowledge that I have a very different relationship with football than most people. But once we got to the end of extra time without a winner in the Champions League of 2008, I didn't really even care that much anymore. Because what I really wanted was for us to be better than Chelsea. And I felt like for large periods of that time, that game, we were better than Chelsea. And then for large periods, they were better than us. And at, at that point, it was 6-5 to five and pick them, as they say. It, it, the fact that the penalty shootout was so close was really, you know, it was decided by such fine margins. But it was, in, in the end, an incredible moment watching John Terry fall over. Well, that's my schadenfreude moment. <laughs> The other moment that I really want to talk about is the Steve Bruce header yeah. <laughs> with Brian, Brian Kidd going nuts on the wing. And that was 20 years ago, almost to the day mm-hmm. that Bruce got a whole promoted. It was quite a nice way of celebrating. For a short period, I sat in the south stand. I'm sure I've said this before. I mean, but for, for a season or so, I sat there and really near the bench. And so I got a, a very close-up view of, of Brian Kidd on his knees, you know, praying to whatever gods that made that header go in. Before someone shoved me and I fell over <laughs> a bunch of seats. That was just insane. But yeah, I mean, an incredible moment. Still, still not as good as and Solskjaer has won it. Defining moment of Ferguson's era in charge of Manchester United is that and Solskjaer has won it. And Manchester United have yeah. reached the promised land, goes the commentary. And it was the culmination of everything. And it was such a profound moment in time, you know, and it, the fact that we have done it so often under Sir Alex. The last minute win of the late goal. That season was one after another of those. That was not a one-off fluke. It's That is such a perfect Alex Ferguson moment. That, you know, whatever it is he did to his players to make them have that belief that they should and could keep going until it was absolutely all over. You know, just just magic. So I can't see beyond that moment myself either. And, and we come to, I guess, you have, by by necessity, we've got to, we've got to make this a different choice because you you could say it's the same thing. But favorite goal, I mean, that's that's a, an awful lot to choose from, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, and you're right. That's the moment, isn't it? But if it was just in terms of favorite goal, just for the fact that it was a goal, the aesthetic of it, um, I I, I was having trouble with this one, but I think I've okay. got top three. Okay, I think this, yeah. this is a difficult one, mind you. This is a difficult one. So. I think in third place is, is that long range half volley from Eric where he controls and whacks it in against Arsenal in the running in that 1996 season where it was not on for a yeah. while and it was. I think in second place is Eric's yeah. chip and in, and in joint first place Jeez. <laughs> is, is Ryan Giggs's Maisie dribble. Oh my God. I forgot. I literally forgot that goal when I was thinking about this. Yeah. And Paul Scholes's volley against Aston Villa. Okay. From direct from the corner. Okay. Where he uh, bangs it in <laughs> off the crossbar. Amazing. All right. My top three, I'm going to go for. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go for all different goals. I think I would have had that Eric chip in my goals. N- number three. Skulls against Padanathanaikos. The, the best team goal that United have scored in the Fergie era. Good shout. Absolutely incredible. And kind of epitomises just how good that, that team was as a team. Panathinaikos, obviously not the world's strongest opposition, but still a, a magnificent goal. And then against the world's strongest opposition in 2008, um, those two Champions League semi-final ties were so intense. And that goal from Skulls in that, Champions League semi-final so two Scalzi goals there in those positions and then I don't know can't do it I, I I can't do I can't do different goals to you I'm gonna have to go for Eric against Sunderland just absolutely era defining there's the breakaway goal against Arsenal oh, in the Champions League semi-final as well goal. what a where, goal which Ronnie to Park Park to Rooney Rooney to, to Ronnie and a goal what a magnificent goal that was too yeah, that, that that game was incredible because uh, we sort of Arsenal were we were still rated Arsenal at that point and we just absolutely destroyed them, didn't we? All right, and then the, your last category that you, you asked us for is is best quote, and uh, again something that has been an awful lot of over the time uh, that, that Ferguson's been in charge because never been uh, he's always been good for a soundbite, hasn't he? Yeah, and that's that's why even though he's been at war with the media for twenty seven years, uh, they they keep quoting him and printing him because how how many memes has he created before a meme even existed? Fergie time, squeaky bum time, mm-hmm. football, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's been quite a few more as well. I, I I love the quote where he's talking about Italians. 
the irony in this you know he says he says uh, when italians tell me it's pasta i look under the source uh, they were the inventors of the smoke screen uh, are you sure ferguson are you, are, are you sure <laughs> There was a, the, his rant he had about Sebastian Veron. Yeah. And I'm nay effing talking to you. He's, he's an effing great player. These are effing idiots. <laughs> Stomped out. <laughs> Loved that one. Thought that was brilliant. And uh, what, what did he say about Ryan Giggs? So he said he floated like a, a dog chasing a piece of silver paper in the wind or something like that. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, football bloody hell is my favourite because it's just such pure emotion. But... Uh, an honourable mention to a quote that does the rounds in the story of some United function when all the players turn up, you know, it's suit and tie, absolutely mandatory. And this is at the height of Fergie, the disciplinarian running Manchester United. And he comes in and a few of the lads see that he's going to see that Eric's wearing a shirt and jeans or whatever. Everyone else is suited and booted and they expect Fergie, he's going to give Cantona the, the what for, but he just turns to him and goes, he's some man that Cantona. I mean, I love that. I just love it. I love the way he felt about Cantona. Beautiful. And for the most bizarre quote, uh, there have been a few, but that one about Rooney and the cow, and sometimes you look in the field and you think the cow's better, but really the cow's much better over here, and our cow's better than their cow, and all of that. Lovely. I mean, I really love him. That's the thing. I do. I really feel really warm towards him, and partly, I suppose, that's just because his actions... I'm lucky enough, by accident of fate, to be a Manchester United fan at a time when the greatest manager of all time has been managing the club, winning things left or right. But he has a lot to speak positively of him as a man as well. He's he's helped so many people and, and done so, you know, so much kind of kindness outreach and and he has somewhere in mixed in him he has some you know principles and believes in things which are important and good and you know it's unfortunate that some of his actions could be seen as very self-serving and all of the kind of glazer stuff because it makes it much more complex but i do i cannot deny that i love him <laughs> Well, there's a thin line between love and hate, <laughs> as the cliche goes, and I've had an on-off relationship with Ferguson. There have been times when I've really disliked the man. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to be honest about that one. Uh, of course, I, one that's always ahead of his time, me, I suggested Ferguson should be retired in November 2005. <laughs> Paula Gwen, Paula Gwen, Paula yeah. Gwen. Paula Gwen makes David Moyes look like Sir Alex. Well, no, Le Gwen's actually won trophies. Okay. had done at that time <laughs> a very bad choice you know what can i say young and naive look that was a combination of pretty poor united sides and really dross football and some vehement support of the glazers and the anger with the glazers some transference there you know so i'm not justifying myself but at the time that was that felt like a very very understandable position for me you know and yeah absolutely crosses over into my feeling about him and the glazers i think he supported something which is fundamentally wrong you make all the arguments about money you like and by the time the glazers finally cleared the debt or or gone away it'll cost united a billion around about you know maybe even more you know it depends how they they re-leverage after this period of of good financial health that's that seems to be coming up so you know in just pure financial terms it's it's been terrible in terms of the relationship between the club and the fans it's broken you know they broke it and ferguson supported them and in fact he went on the attack you know in the matter of quotes uh, about about real fans would support the glazers and all that kind of nonsense and uh, telling fans to head off and support chelsea so that kind of thing made it a very difficult made him a very difficult person to like for me and no, just his his general demeanor with the press and and some of the falling out fallings out he's had with players and stuff like that you know they they've all contributed to a feeling that sometimes i didn't like him very much you know at the same time yeah love him very much too that, that article i wrote when i called for him to be resigned and i i, I said i love him very much and, yeah. and it was the best thing for him and the club for him to go at that time you know turns out it wasn't the best thing and uh, and there've been a bunch of other titles in the european cup on top of that yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, I think your logic was impeccable at the time. I really do think that. And I, I think it's fine to have been wrong about that. And, uh, you know, Rob Smythe wrote an, a very similar article maybe a season or two ago. And I think he was right as well. You know, I, I think history's proved him. It's a paradox. I'm saying history's proved him wrong, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't a perfectly reasonable conclusion to draw at the time. And I think what we've all done in the times we've written off Fergie is we've made the mistake of writing off Fergie. I mean, it's a pretty simplistic thing to say, but, you know, the whole cliche of like, oh, don't write off the Germans. 
It's like, just just don't write off Fergie because whatever it takes, he'll find a way to win. And one of the things about the Ferguson era is he has seen off, first of all, he overthrew Liverpool as a dominant force in English football, which was no mean feat whatsoever. And they contributed to their own downfall for sure. Then he's kind of dealt with an unprecedented challenge from Arsenal as they embraced this new modern football and and played beautiful, wonderful, incredibly dynamic football. Uh, but no, Fergie out, outlived them. And actually, there's you know he's seen a, a, a seven-year-long barren spell uh, where Arsenal Mega couldn't even pick up a League Cup. You know, um, then came Roman's billions and Jose, and it looked for a little while like that was going to be unassailable. But there's a reason we sing "You'll Never Win Three in a Row" at Chelsea, and it's because Sir Alex wouldn't let it happen, and nowhere near able to match them on a financial scale. He he managed to see off that challenge. Then City came along and, and City, you know, it wasn't long enough to be an era. They just won it once, but he won it straight back. And I, I, I kind of thought if he'd had another five years, he'd see off City altogether. I'm sure they'll be back, as I'm sure Chelsea will. Uh, but he saw off all comers. That's just incredible. Unprecedented. No, no one has been able to build and destroy and build and destroy again and, and see off so many challenges. And and we talk about the Glazers and, and that sucked out all sorts of money from the club for a number of years, even though it was denied. But, but do you think if anyone else was in charge that United would have survived in quite the same way? I, I don't think so. Of course not. So in that sense, he's, I'm going to contradict myself here, as, as well as being the, the guy who made it happen. He, he was a real catalyst and he supported them. He was also the savior of the club in that period as well. And, and actually, you know, I, I mean, I think his support for the Glazers, if, if you can't see that his support for the Glazers undermines his legacy, then we, we can't have a conversation on the same level. There are certain prerequisites. We, we're disagreeing about what red is and what blue is here. You know, it's, it's like, from my perspective, that is absolutely cast iron for sure. The way he acted at that time undermines his legacy overall. But the way him, I've always been unsure about how much that was his kind of, how much of it was uh, just amoral and how much of it was about saying, OK, well, this is a kind of real politic here. This is the reality we're faced with. The club's best interests are served by stability. And I know that I, you know, Ferguson will back himself to dig the club out of the hole. And he's absolutely done that. That you know, we, we said we would talk about the Q3 financials last week and actually didn't really talk about them. They're not particularly interesting. But the club is in increasingly good financial health. And that's not because of the Glazers. That's because Ferguson has kept us incredibly successful in spite of the Glazers and the TV deals boomed, which is very much partly because of Sir Alex's relentless success over the years. You know, he's contributed to the growth of English football as a whole, hasn't he? Yeah, 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 totally. You're right about many of those things. The Glazers have been very, very astute at leveraging what Ferguson has built, you know, and keeping United successful has enabled that that brand to, to go around the world. And, and it's given a platform for all these brands that want to be associated with Manchester United and rub off on some of the glory to do that. You know, it couldn't have been done in quite the same way if this had been an unsuccessful club. If if all the deaths had translated into a lack of investment, a lack of success, like Arsenal, then we'd be doing Arsenal-level sponsorships, which is nowhere near, given even given their massive new Puma deal, which will be completely dwarfed by the new Nike deal when it comes out. You know, it'd be a completely different style of club, of course, you know. So I guess fans are thankful for all the glory that Ferguson's brought and all the great memories and all the great time. The Glazers should be thankful for filling their pockets. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, you know, it's kind of weird that he's a big part of the last part of his career was all about, you know, financially, at least was about filling the pockets of a bunch of kind of parasites. But at the same time, he brought enormous joy because because Ferguson's actions have brought enormous joy to the fans during the Glazer era. The, the team has been unprecedentedly successful, which is mental. And, and some of that was luck. This is the other thing about like, you know, there's a few key moments in Alex Ferguson's career, which I guess some of it genuinely just good fortune, but then also just an incredible opportunist and actually his last great signing, Robin Van Persie, classic example of pure opportunism. And he really was an opportunistic manager. He, Seize the moment brilliantly, Sir Alex. If if you look back at this title run in that game that City lost, I can't remember who it was that they lost to, but we had a big game coming up midweek and he still pulled out all the stops in the league because he saw the moment and he grabbed it. And that's that's a very Fergie thing to do. And we've, we've said so many times on this podcast that, that Ferguson's career is testament to 
what it means to be a good gambler. You know, that, that a good gambler is not somebody who never loses. A good gambler is somebody who wins more than they lose. And Ferguson's won way, way, way more than he's lost in those gambles. You can argue that he's become less of a gambler over the years, but at times he's really benefited from that. I mean, earlier this season, United's crazy suicidal football, you know, that was a, a decision that he flipped it around after Christmas when he decided that the gamble was over and actually wanted to de-risk. Yep. Champions League final, throwing four forwards on. There's so many examples where it's gone right for him and, and some where it's gone disastrously wrong as well. But I think uh, he's he's well ahead in the stakes, isn't he? And, and that's contributed to United's success. Of course, there's been fortune, but I think most of it has been created. It's a, a yep. definite fortune in 1999. But if, if a manager hadn't thrown all those forwards on and hadn't been able to prepare to risk all to win, then you know, would United have got that luck? No, absolutely. And, and you know, fortune favours the bold. A leap of faith is often rewarded. All these things which are cliches for a reason because somehow fundamentally true to human experience. All right, so talking of gambles, Sir Alex isn't going to be manager of Manchester United next season. Someone else is. No, say it ain't so. <laughs> and as we record this, it's kind of a gamble to spend ages and ages talking about it, but we're going to have to. And it's not much of a gamble, though, because currently betting has been suspended as David Moyes came into 1-50 to 50 on to be the next Manchester United manager. Yes, well, he is, he's going to be the next Manchester United manager. We'll re- release his podcast on Friday. He'll be announced on Thursday. Uh, and uh, I'm personally gutted because I was hoping Mike Phelan would take the job. <laughs> yeah, it's more than Mike Phelan, in the words of Ed Barber. Um, hard not to be underwhelmed by the selection of David Moyes, although some aren't, and I I am absolutely not writing him off, I think. There's every chance that he has the right qualities to succeed at Manchester United, but there is also a very considerable chance that it's not going to work out for the big man. And, you know, he's our... If Well, I'm just going to act like he is already because it's, it's sort of so much a done deal. He's our manager. I'm definitely going to be supportive of him. Definitely of not going to be getting on his back after six months if results aren't going no, well. I'll give it eight. Yeah. <laughs> No, look, I mean, look, we've learned, we learned plenty from Ferguson's time that stability counts. I think it's a completely different era though. So Ferguson got four years to win a trophy. Uh, Moyes certainly won't get that. Uh, but, but it's, it's a very different club. You know, that was a club that, that was struggling financially, hadn't had success for years, had a very poor squad uh, here. Not struggling in financially, not in the same way. Anyway, has a very high quality squad. Might not be the best in Europe, but that's a, that's a change in our expectations. So uh, Moyes can't have a bedding in period, basically. He, he needs to be su- successful or pretty successful right from the start. So it needs to be challenging. Yeah. And and I, I f- like you used the word underwhelming. It, it is underwhelming for me. And one of the reasons it's underwhelming is that objectively Moyes isn't qualified for the job. Right. So uh, hilariously uh, re- rereading some of the, the newspaper reports, the Guardian's uh, Ferguson has resigned reports. So kind of factual news one had a line in it that basically said something along the lines of and the criteria for the selection of the next manager, extensive, extensive CV, extensive experience in Europe. And uh, experience of running a large budget and a squad of star players, all of which rule David Moyes out of the job. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, and that's my logic, right? And uh, I think objectively he's not qualified, and uh, there's something else to play here. You know, obviously Ferguson has kind of sponsored him because if David Moyes is qualified for this job, there are a hundred other managers throughout Europe who are too. Or there's another way of putting this: if United's peers are Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus, Milan. Would David Moyes get any of those jobs? The counter-argument to that, for me, boils down to Fergie thinks he can do it. And, you know, when you when you give a job to somebody and you look at the CV, the most qualified person on the CV is not necessarily going to be the best person for the job. Running United is a different job to running Real Madrid or Barcelona or whatever. You know, it requires a different skill set, so it's not necessarily directly comparable. By the way, I don't actually disagree with anything whatsoever that you've said. I should make that very clear. I'm just saying the counter argument is there's clearly something about Moyes that Sir Alex thinks means that he has the right personal characteristics and the right abilities to do the job. I think in his favour are his dealings in the transfer market. Generally speaking, his signings are they they 
they favour him. You know, they, they, they're not all perfect, but they never will be. He's been really smart in the transfer market, quite often buying cast-offs from United, uh, in fact. And and he's done he's done ever so well in the transfer market. And he's built a very decent Everton side. Now, as you pointed out, on average in his career at Everton, Everton have finished eighth in the Premier League. And on average, they're eighth in the Premier League money league table. So that's not an overachievement. This notion that he's punched way above the weight of Everton. I mean, Everton are historically one of the really big sides in English football, aren't they? I mean, they're not competing on the same level as the big boys financially in this crazy world we live in now, but they're not competing on the pitch front with them either. You know, they're they're about where they're supposed to be and United are not where they're supposed to be. United are consistently either where they're supposed to be or ahead of where they're supposed to be, whereas Everton, generally speaking, where they're supposed to be or a bit below or a bit above, you know, very much at par. Look, there are plenty of ways of looking at that. One is just the pure revenue. One is the wages. And they're about eighth or ninth floated between them. If you look over the last few years in terms of their wage to turnover ratio. The, the other significant factor, of course, is that it's been topped up with debt and significant amounts of debt. And, and Everton do pay good wages for the amount of turnover they bring in. Actually, Moyes is on a very good wage mm. indeed. You know, so he'll be earning very good money at Old Trafford. And that's the way Everton have, have managed to compete by paying high wages, but being smart in the transfer market. Is, is that what United need to do? I'd argue that he's coming into a, a completely different mindset and set of objectives now that he's not been tested for. So has he done that job uh, that he'll need to do in terms of selecting some of the best players? Of course, he'll need to budget as well because, you know, it's the Glazer family and all of that. But, you know, there will be some bigger buys too, we suspect. He's not done that before. He's untested. Has he done anything in Europe? No, nothing at all. So untested there. Has he won any trophies? No, nothing at all. So untested there as well. Has he ever uh, managed a squad of 30 internationals? No, completely untested there. So, you know, Ferguson may think he's got the raw qualities to do the job. But as we discussed earlier, Ferguson was more qualified than Moyes when he took the job, which was a much smaller job when Ferguson took it over. That's it. So the gap is massive here, right? And I don't think he's not comparable in terms of what the club is and not comparable in terms of the CV. So this is a massive punt. I wouldn't mistake that at all. It is a massive punt because some of the key criteria for Moyes being successful uh, are not there. It doesn't look like they've restructured the management structure either, right? They're not bringing in a director of football and just asking Moyes to be a coach. And there's some arguments about whether he'd do a good job there as well. So, you know, I I think this is a, it's a leap of faith. And I think it's a leap of faith based on personality mainly. And we'll see if it works out. He's going to get time, of course. And uh, I think the old traffic crowd's pretty patient anyway. So I think he'll get plenty of, plenty of time. You know, we've been used to Anderson for six years. So uh, that's patience for you because there's still people arguing with me about whether Anderson will come good or not after six years you know and very genuinely as well so in six years time if Moises won absolutely nothing United are 12th in the Premier League there'll still be people going yeah well we should wait and see whether he comes good or not I think actually the Old Trafford crowd is getting less patient <laughs> like there were genuinely people who were angered by how bad United were against Chelsea on Sunday even though we've literally won the league two weeks before that the game was just for fun you know it, it like he played a bunch of people just to get the medals or just to get him playing time or whatever and have a bit of fun it was just so un- incredibly unimportant that game and yet there was still passionate anger from the fans and I do think there is less patience than there was I think the point that you made about the gap like Ferguson say he'd, he'd had the equivalent success leading up to now and now the United job with United the, the size it was he would still be a better choice than Moyes but on top of the fact that United is an infinitely bigger club I mean it's a it's a big risk uh, one thing that uh, at Giggs Boson who's been extremely pro Moyes has pointed out in a, in a pretty good article about about Moyes I don't I don't agree with all of it I have to say but there's a couple of good points and one of them is about youth development then there, there's been a willingness on Moyes' part to back youth and incorporate them with some signings and some more experienced players uh, and so you know that's, that's pretty good and ultimately it's just so hard to assess isn't it I mean I don't know about you but we're having this conversation and I feel a bit like I'm in a weird bubble or something. You know, it's like I can hear these words coming out of my mouth, but me and you are talking now about how David Moyes is going to do as Man United manager next season. Not in This is not like some Twitter question we're answering. Who do you think might be in the running to take over from Sir Alex when he eventually finally pops his clogs or retires? This is really happening. David Moyes is Man United manager. And every time I hear that, I get this kind of feeling of meh. 
and it's not good actually i want to be excited about it and conceptually actually we talked about this a, a few weeks ago didn't we and someone completely misunderstood the point you were making when you said you'd embrace the new manager and be excited about it and uh, and had a go at me oh did they i didn't see that yeah 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 they had a go at me suggesting that i was being anti <laughs> Interesting, interesting, yeah. But look, any, anyway, the point being is I can't escape this feeling of meh. Doesn't mean I won't support him, you know, whatever that means in the, in the modern era. I, I always think it's quite funny when people say, you should just support the team. Does that mean you're not allowed an opinion? Yeah, cause, cause I, I, as I said, like I'll back David Moyes definitely and give him plenty of time. But if I think he's made a mistake and we're recording one of these next year, I'm going to say, Hey, I think that was a mistake. That doesn't, I just want to make this clear to everyone right now. That doesn't mean like I'm slagging him off. Or don't not get in behind the team or got to support the team as uh, the Seinfeld quote and there's some interesting dynamics with Moyes as well because I, I, I think there will be plenty of cause for United fans to grumble you know he is a he is a man who switches the team around at Everton and he plays tactics based on the opposition now that that's another one that makes me kind of worried because there's a lot of validity in doing that of course you know you adjust what you're doing for the opposition but he does it in this defensive manner Everton is so often the underdogs and it's not going to happen at United in the same way save for a few massive matches in Europe really he's got to find a style that United can impose on other teams I mean you look at the successful teams now Barcelona maybe their era is fading coming into Bayern and the German clubs you know who knows but they all have a very distinct style that they impose on other teams now this is not something Moyes has done at Everton uh, aside from the long ball they play more long balls than Stoke anyone thinks he plays good football they do fact by January the 4th 2013 they'd scored more goals from open play than either Chelsea or City so yeah that's because they launch it at Fellaini's head he knocks it down and the little fella knocks it in it's worth pointing out, by the way, that all this discussion of like what next season's going to be like, massive headline on the Daily Mail. It's Daily Mail on Thursday this week just says Rooney out, Ronaldo in on the back page of the Daily Mail. Yes, well, we'll see about the second one because I think there's a lot of economics and politics around that one. It's hard to see Rooney staying. Yeah. They had a court case, these guys. It's not like they had a bit of a falling out <laughs> in the dressing room or whatever. Yeah, They, they are enemies. <laughs> Apparently they made up, but you know, that's... Uh... Yeah, they made up due to a settlement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the settlement it said you have to pretend to have made up in case Moisev becomes United manager. But yeah, I mean, got to, you've got to think that's that's pretty crazy. Uh, so I've just uh, just had a tweet from someone about that that picture. The tweet from at Talk of the Crowd saying letting have letting Moyes have the cheat codes on for the first year. Fair enough. Good good little introduction. I mean, if he if he if Ronaldo comes to United, all bets are off, right? It's we, we're having completely different discussions, aren't we? If if Ronaldo comes. Well, I mean, who knows? Because, of course, the, the big draw for Ronaldo was his relationship with Ferguson. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, of course, some of it was his relationship with the club. But he talks about Ferguson. Yeah. Uh, very specifically. So would he come back to United with all the finances that would take with no Ferguson there? Does it make any economic sense in that case? Does Moyes know how to use him? Well, you just stick him on the pitch and say, put that round thing in that big square thing over there. That's what you do, isn't it, with Ronaldo? Yeah. Ronaldo has a bit of a strop. Uh, does what does Moyes do? He can't he can't bollock him. Ronaldo's bigger than Moyes. Significantly bigger. Ronaldo's a world star, Moyes isn't. Yeah. There will be an asymmetric relationship. Yeah. I'm not sure it works. And this is part of my uncertainty with Moyes. You know, maybe he'll prove prove us all wrong and he'll come out and uh, we'll find out he has the kind of personality to take on Manchester United. And, and he has the tactical thinking that will maybe even improve on Ferguson. You know, I'd love to see that. And maybe we won't get the tombola anymore. And maybe he'll play beautiful football that he just could never do at Everton because he had limited resources. Maybe, 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 maybe. Or maybe not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that made my heart sink a little bit when it was going to, when it was very clear that it was going to be Moyes is, you know, Sir Alex leaving is kind of a massive blow to all of us in terms of just the raw emotion of it. But also there has been this talk of big signings coming in. David Moyes' first signing at Manchester United is Cristiano Ronaldo is kind of a weird sentence to say compared to Sir Alex brings Cristiano home. You remember when John Major took over from Mrs. Thatcher and there was the, she said, oh, of course, I'm going to be a backseat driver. And there's the Steve Bell cartoon of her holding the, the steering wheel while sat in the back seat. And you do wonder what the relationship's going to be like. How hands-on is Sir Alex going to be? He's still going to be around, so he's still part of the appeal to Ronnie. But who knows? I mean, seriously, it's all just random speculation, isn't it? 
Right, so to mark the occasion, we've got a giveaway. At Anton Alfie, purveyor of fine videos and also responsible for the graphic design on the Not 19 Forever banner, has designed a uh, new t-shirt for the occasion, a nice Sir Alex Ferguson. It says, well done, Alex, and it's got all the trophies. And well done being, of course, his favourite mark of praise. Well done. Uh, so it says at the end of interviews, which I love. Anyway, it's a really cool t-shirt. Uh, and in order to win one of those for absolutely free, all you need to do is answer the question why you'd be a better Manchester United manager than David Moyes. Why we should why we should take you and if you can get that into 140 characters in a tweet and use the hashtag RankCast so it doesn't get all lost, then submit your entries that way and we'll pick a winner next week. In the meantime, follow at Anton Alfie on Twitter to uh, have a look for his excellent T-shirts. There's a very cool Robin Van Persie one and really nice. That's why I love United. One made out of all the different names of United players over the years and uh, not 19 forever, 20 times T-shirt based on that banner. It's pretty cool. I have to say that banner looks pretty good. Uh, Unlike Man United on Sunday, I mean, what, what can we say about that game except United didn't care? I think given everything that's happened this week, uh, it really doesn't matter anymore. No. I, I was actually, I have to say, you, you mentioned some people quite angry. I was quite angry because I felt that cheated the fans, uh, that kind of performance, because I, I thought it was a very odd team selection and a remarkably complacent performance. And as much as you can say, I understand it. They've just, they've won the league. It mattered not a jot. They still had a responsibility to entertain the fans, in my view. And I thought that was incredibly arrogant and complacent of them to perform in that manner. But hey, look, it doesn't matter. In the big scale of things, it's done. Right, it's done. But I was pretty angry about that one, and that's not being spoiled. I just thought the fans deserve more than this, and it was rubbish. It was really, really awful. It really doesn't matter because it's been blown out of the water by all the other stuff this week. Ferguson's retirement, Moyes' appointment, and we've only recorded about four hours of this podcast, so I suppose we ought to dedicate at least thirty seconds preview to the game coming up. Of course, it won't be the game that really matters, will it? At the weekend, it will be Ferguson's departure speech that everyone is waiting for. I can't let them. I'm really annoyed, by the way, because I was definitely going to get one of the many spares that were going to be going around for the West Brom away game the week after. And now, like, that's just, that's just not going to. I'm going to have to resign myself to the fact that that is not going to happen. So, by the way, if you've got a spare, right, and you're not motivated by finance and you just want to let me go for face value, just, just drop us a message on Twitter. But that's obviously not going to happen because they're going for 600 quid a ticket or something already. But the, the Swansea game, yeah, we'll, we'll play Swansea. I mean, it's just going to be such an insanely emotional occasion, isn't it? You know, there's been a lot of making fun of football's more maudlin side and minutes applauses and all that kind of stuff. But this is just going to be an absolute emotion fest. And so it darn well should be. We are having a minute of silence. Scout start. You know what, what would have been the best troll of all? Appointing Rafa Benitez. <laughs> Just for a day, you know, just just to watch Liverpool melt. I mean, literally, the city would have melt and sunk into the earth. And then we could have sacked him. Yeah, that would have been quite fun. We are appointing the Everton manager, which is fairly sort of trolltastic, isn't it? It's, it's pretty good on the troll front, yeah. The only person that I actually think is like, okay, this is the person that I can see makes the most sense in world football and it actually makes sense, like for our benefit, would have been Klopp because of what he's done over the last number of years at Dortmund. I mean, he's not like some hipster flash in the pan as some people seem to perceive him as, but he is has built kind of one of the most exciting dynamic teams in world football from scratch based right. on youth and super attacking football. Not with loads of money either and, and because Dortmund don't generate loads of money and he won two German titles and, and has got them to the European Cup final. Might still win a European Cup, you know. I think he was just too left field for United... Yeah, and I also don't think he. Wa- I don't think he wanted to go. That's the, the other thing. I, I think he's happy with Project Dortmund. Yeah, although Project Dortmund's going to get dismantled, so this would have been the right time to go if he had the ambition to go elsewhere. But I, I'm quite sure United didn't even test that one because I, I think uh, yeah, I think they had their eyes on Moyes. Given that that Jose is going back to Chelsea, that's going to be an interesting challenge, isn't it? I mean, next season, I know we got off the Swansea game <laughs> yeah. already because it's just yeah, it's a little bit small fry, isn't it? In, in compared to the the big stuff that's going on, but next season's going to be really interesting because City are going to spend offensively in the summer because Mancini's jumped up and down about it. If they don't sack him, of course and they'll probably spend offensively even if they do sack him Mourinho will go back he'll get plenty of budget uh, saw it in the mirror today saying that Rooney is going to Chelsea or Chelsea are trying to hijack that one you know, actually might well be prepared to sell you know if they do sell Rooney they need to make a big transfer because I mean imagine Fergie goes Rooney goes nobody significant comes in it's just going to completely melt there's going to be meltdown isn't there talking about Liverpool melting United will melt 
Well, there would be certainly, uh, you know, in the Twitter sphere, uh, I suppose. But also it'd be undermining Moyes straight away. I mean, Moyes and and Rooney can't be in the same team. Even if for some reason United don't sell Rooney uh, this summer because they don't get the right kind of bid, he's got to go at some point. You know, this is not a relationship that can work functionally. So, and who knows what his personal transfer targets are or what views he has on or whether, whether he has any say in it at all. You know, we don't know what the structure will be. Oh, David Moyes' personal transfer targets for Man United. I, I wonder if he'll bring any, anyone from Everton. And Baines and Fellaini makes kind of sense, but you know. In many senses, I, I really hope that Fellaini isn't signed because I think that attracts long ball football. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't play in central midfield anyway. You know, I know we've talked about him and he's putting some stunning performances against United. I don't think he's the right one for United. Baines, well, maybe, but Patrice Ever has just come off the back of his best season since 2009. So I think there's more mileage there still. And so I don't think that's a priority. If there's money to spend, I'm not sure you want to spend 15 million on Leighton Baines right now. I think uh, you'd spend it in central midfield. Uh, absolutely. Of course, Moise's central midfield at uh, Everton right now is Gibson and Pip Neville. They, they could do a job there, don't you think? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. All right, so this is it then. Next week, penultimate rank cast of the season. Hopefully there'll have been a week of crazy transfer activity and speculation and stuff for us to talk about. And then we'll do end of season award thing. It's just been a hell of a weird day and, and, you know, whatever happens, they're Man United, aren't they? Biggest incredible club. I mean, success for the future isn't guaranteed, but being Man United is and, and that's kind of wonderful in itself, you know. We'll see what the post-Ferguson era brings. It was always going to be incredibly difficult transition. I mean, if you look at the tradition transition outside the Busby era, it took until Sir Alex took over for that to really be finished. And it was two and a half decades. And hopefully it won't be that long right. in modern football. You'd expect it not to be because there's a certain established power structure which puts United in an incredibly strong position compared to where they were in, in the 70s. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, completely agree with that. United is set up to succeed. Uh, whether the, the new managerial appointment is the right one or not, really. I mean, uh, but I think that it might just be the difference between success in a highly competitive environment and not. But I, I don't think United are going to slump to the, the slump that United suffered after Busby. And there's no chance of the club getting relegated in the next five years. I don't think. <laughs> no, it seems really unlikely. And also, one thing we didn't say is Sir Alex is leaving the squad in really good shape. You know, there is a really good balance. Yeah, really good shape. I mean, not the best in Europe, but in very good shape. Yeah. And in fact, now I'm, I'm sure this wasn't deliberate, but the fact that there is there is room to grow. I was thinking about, like, you know, Moyes signs a central midfielder and everyone's going to be like, oh, brilliant. And it's like, it was just an elaborate scam of Fergie to kind of get the fans on side for the next manager, just not buy a central midfielder all the, this time. So like, dad isn't going to buy you the toy you want so that stepdad can buy it, you know, pretend new dad can buy it and he can endear himself to you. And Moy starts with a clean slate. He has no loyalties to any of these players, so it'll be interesting to see what he sees as his first eleven. And and of course, there'll be massive egg on our faces if uh, the media are trolling us completely. And Jose pops out and announces himself as United manager on Thursday. In which case, I'm deleting this rant cast and we'll record it all again. But assuming that doesn't happen and you have just heard all this, you can get me at UTD Rantcast. You can get Ed at United Rant. Get us both at UnitedRant.co.uk or Facebook.com/UnitedRant. And if you really enjoyed the show, leave a review on iTunes. That'd be much appreciated. Incredible shout out to one particular listener who hopefully knows who he is. People have been extremely generous donating what they can uh, to unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. But we got a a very kind donation from a listener. So uh, thank you. Well, thank you to absolutely everyone who's donated sincerely. I'm very generous. I mean, we, we don't help out starving kids in Africa unless they're able to get iTunes, in which case we give them much oral pleasure. Absolutely, and, and we'll be back at the same time next week to talk about David Moyes' Red White Army. David Moyes' Red White Army.